This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. It's the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. McCowan here in uh, Toronto. Shannon is in uh, Calgary today. Mm. How's the weather there? Snow? No, I are you kidding me? Gorgeous sunshine. A little chilly at night. You have to have your sweater on, but uh, been uh, in the 20s. Uh, it was, it's been fantastic. Blue skies, Alberta blue. You know, it's pretty tough to beat. Well, when you come home, you'll be putting a sweater on at night here too now. That's, I, I've heard that already. So. Yeah, it's already kicked in. Uh, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays got hammered last night. That's not good. They're playing Tampa Bay and would like to, uh, well, I mean, the best case scenario now, you just win three out of four. And that wouldn't necessarily put Tampa Bay away for the year, but it would certainly go a long way towards doing that. Um, the likelihood of that happening now is obviously more remote. I tell you what, Bob, uh, a five-game series against Tampa, a four-game series against Tampa, and you may you may face them in the first round of the playoffs. I'm getting tired of Tampa. A lot of Tampa. And uh, that's not not the team, ideally, you would like to be facing at this time of year or at any time of year. It's been the nemesis of the Blue Jays for a long, long time. Uh, our friend Shai Davidi is in Tampa with the Blue Jays, and uh, we'll talk to him when we come back after these messages. We are back, McCowan and Shannon with you, and uh, Shai Davidi joins us from uh, Tampa, where the Blue Jays are uh, up against the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend in a in a big series. And this playoff format is working out just about how you would expect it to. Uh, would you not concur, Mr. Davidi? I think it's been great that uh, it's certainly extended some races in cities where there wouldn't be races right now. There's a, certainly a, a good bit of drama. Uh, I'm sure that in Major League Baseball, the ideal scenario, the, there are a few more teams that are a little tighter on the bottom of, uh, of each of the wild card races. But I think it's, it's really created a lot more interest uh, in terms of what's going on in multiple markets. And ultimately, that's, that's part of the goal here. Yep. Well, I think that is the goal, indeed. Uh, Blue Jays with a one-game lead over Tampa right now. Uh, and yet... Um, it's a perilous lead because uh, of the competition, uh, because they have this weekend series. Uh, last night was not the Blue Jays' best night, but specifically it wasn't Berrios' best night. He has been horrible on the road. Can you even possibly explain why that would be the case? I don't, I don't have an explanation for it. And it's, to me, the more significant split and I haven't done the numbers on this in a few weeks, but the more significant split for him was between teams that are above 500 and below mm -hmm. 500 and how those games have happened to land. Uh, that may be some of what's, what's behind that. T to me, what's more interesting about him is that when he, when he's not right this year, he blows up in a way that he didn't in the past where you, you, you think about some of the outings where you know, a starter, Gosman did this recently, he gave up a bunch of runs, still got through six innings, managed to save the bullpen a little bit. With Barrios, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, the Thursday night game, that was the eighth time this year he's gone four innings or less in an outing. And for someone who's a workhorse and been one throughout his career, that's that's pretty bizarre. And to, so, so that's what really sticks out to me about Jose Barrios this year is that he hasn't been able to make adjustments in games uh, often enough to avoid these types of outings. And he'd been on a pretty good roll, so I don't think the Blue Jays are in any sort of panic about it or anything like that right now, but it's certainly not reassuring with the playoffs around the corner that, that he has this type of outing within the context of the, the type of season that he's had. Which do you think is a bigger concern right now for him, velocity or location? 
location. The velocity was fine. He was even uh, above his season average yesterday. Uh, so Velo wasn't the issue. It's just there are times he leaves pitches over uh, the dangerous parts of the plate. And it, it, really the thing that everybody was pointing to yesterday was just his inability to finish hitters off. He was getting ahead. He was attacking well. He was putting himself in position to, to get lots of outs. And then it'd be foul off, foul off, foul off, ball, foul off. And all of a sudden this pitch count, he's at 74 pitches through two innings and he's been grinded. And instead of an out being recorded, uh, it ends up with a ball in play. So that that is the, the, the issue. And his velocity, for the most part, has been fine this season. There was that one game in Anaheim where he had a weird dip. And that was, a, that was just a dead arm period, which happens. But by and large, that hasn't been the problem. It's been being able to locate with his fastball and then being able to effectively leverage his curveball off that pitch. Well, so how do you, you know, we're sitting here and this team is going to the postseason. We don't know whether they're going to be at home or on the road, obviously, but barring the ridiculously unforeseen, they're going to make the postseason. What's, how do you rank your starting pitchers? I mean, they have four guys. And you got to figure out how, you know, how to go. And at the beginning of the year, you just said Barrios would be absolutely one of the top three, absolutely would start a game in the first round, even if it went three. And now, are you so? Are you that sure? Yeah, it's, it's a super intriguing question. I'd put it this way. There's still about two weeks left of inputs to help decide that. To, to a certain degree, matchups will play a role in that as well. If there's you know, a team that a starter has been particularly effective against that he happens to be facing, then you're, you're going to factor that in. You're going to use all the information available to you. But the fact that it's a conversation is both a comment on Barrios' season to this point and how well Stripling has performed. Mm-hmm. That Stripling may be the guy you'd want in a potential game three or game two, depending how, how you structure the series. It's not... It's not an automatic anymore. So right now, I don't know that there's a direct answer to that, Bob. And I really do believe that what happens over the next two weeks will help determine that and who the matchup ends up being will help determine that. Can can you explain that when you think about matchups? Well, so Ross Stripling, for instance, has pitched very well against the Tampa Bay Rays this year. And... Is that something that you're going to factor in that that he his pitch repertoire and the way that he's pitching may be a little bit more effective against that lineup, or at least for this season with uh, with this group, maybe more effective against that lineup than Jose Barrios? Yeah, that that could be part of it. You know, another another consideration is that Stripling is pushing towards career highs in innings logged and and workload. So he's going to be in some uncharted territory, and what does that mean for him physically? When it comes to the playoffs, I, I, there are just going to be a lot of factors. You know, the front offices these days with the amount of information that they work with, it's just so vastly different from what we have publicly available in terms of you know, where is a pitcher from a physical perspective, the different checkpoints, a lot of the, the, the real biometric data that we have no clue about, essentially. All those things will go into it. Plus, you know how to how to how to pitch movements play against swing planes and and all those types of things. So uh, it's going to be a, a layered decision. I'm sure their analysts are pouring over stuff right now if they haven't done that already uh, and trying to optimize a bunch of different plans to execute when the time comes. Well, you've got innings issues. You mentioned um, Stripling re- uh, approaching a high. Manoa obviously is well beyond his high and we keep uh we keep talking about whether that's going to be a problem come postseason and they've given him an extra day off this week right in order to uh kind of address that yeah and he'll get an extra day as a result he'll also get extra day before his next start as well so uh, the blue Jays are hoping that the double up effect there will be very beneficial for him so so uh, do you see him well, for want of a better word, getting tired. Do you see that, or is this just is this precautionary? And this is precautionary, and it's actually interesting. I was talking to Pete Walker, the Blue Jays pitching coach, about this uh, last night, and 
I said to him, are there parallels here between what Minot is going through the process with what you guys did in 2016 when Aaron Sanchez was in a similar boat? And remember, the Blue Jays were on the verge of moving Aaron Sanchez to the bullpen over these workload concerns. And the end, they decided, okay, we'll just feel our way through this and see where it goes. The, the difference, Pete said, is that now they have all this objective data that they're leaning on and that they're not guessing in the way that they were in 2016. In 2016, it was a lot of, how are you feeling? You're feeling this, you're feeling that. Okay. Now it's, well, this is what the data says. And this is what the data says about your recovery. This is what the data says about your physical capacity. And if there were going to be red flags, they would get revealed in the objective data. And Alec Manoa, the phrase both both uh, Walker used that uh, uh, John Schneider has used, uh, continues to check all the boxes. So uh, I think for that reason, the Blue Jays aren't concerned about him at all. But anytime you can give uh, a starting pitcher an extra day of recovery, particularly at this point of the year, particularly with the workload that he's carried, uh, you know, th- th- there's no downside to that. Well, I mean, from the just observational point of view, I mean, this is a big, strong guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he is not, you know, six foot 165. He is mm-hmm. a very, very big pitcher. One of the biggest pitchers in, in baseball, I guess, I would think. Yeah, Maybe he's that, a mountain of a human being. Yeah. That, that's got to factor in, don't you think? To some degree, but again, that's a big man puts a lot more stress on joints, right? Mm, uh, I guess. There's... It's it's not just uh, big guys able to to carry it in that way. I don't know that it's quite. We'd like to think that that's simplistic, and it's and it's that that's definitely been something that in baseball uh, has you know people have sort of observed and followed. But but ultimately, this is a man who's throwing a, a baseball at upwards of uh, you know ninety six miles an hour multiple times. Uh, every five days, <laughs> you know, there's going to be wear and tear no matter what size human that you are. So, uh, you know, the thing, that, the thing is about him, he's got the mentality that he wants to do it. He's takes care of himself. He's regimented enough in his routine that he's doing the things he needs to do to recover as best as possible and maintain his strength in order to do it. And those are the reasons that you feel comfortable, right? You can be a big guy who's not taking care of himself and you're going to break down. So, yeah, it's it's more a product of who Manoa is and what he does as much as the physical frame. Before we move on to other things about uh, the team, uh, he seems to have taken on a, a a really big personality on this team. We you know we see the guys in the in the uh, in the dugout with the jacket, and they they certainly have fun. Um, and, and I'm, I guess I'm referring more to the, you know, the, the response to the Alejandro Kirk tweet, uh, defending his teammate. This guy's got some balls, doesn't he? Yeah. And that, I don't, you know, I don't think that's a necessarily linked to his success. That's just the, the type of guy he's always been. He's definitely a big personality. Uh, he's, he's definitely got his opinions and, and things of that nature, but it helps when you're a dude, right? And when you're a starting pitcher and he gets in there and he's not one of those, you know, sitting off to the side, deep in thought, starting pitcher types. He's right there with his teammates. He's talking with them even on days. So he's not he's Roy pitching. Halliday. No, he's, he's, he's the opposite. He's, he's, very, he's very much an extrovert and he doesn't have to turn inward in order to have that success. And you see that in his antics on the mound, which if he's on your team, you love and fire you up. And if you're on the other team, you loathe and want to want to punish him for. So I think that's all part of it, but uh, he's because of the success, he's obviously become a far more prominent member of the team, but he's always had that bit of a personality to him, even in the back of his college days where he's someone that uh, his teammates have gravitated to and he's relished that role. We are, uh, you know, we've discussed this on a few occasions, more than a few occasions, but we are long past the days of the four-man rotation of 300-plus innings of 120, 130, 140 pitches in a game. Those guys don't exist anymore. They don't play the game that way anymore. 
But back in those days, it is true that the pitchers of that era did not throw at 100% all the time. Um, you know, if they needed the theoretically 100-mile-an-hour fastball, they'd throw it, but they'd throw it three or four or five times a game maybe, and they'd be anywhere from 80 to 90% a lot of the time. Do pitchers today pitch at less than their capacity, throw any pitch at less than their capacity, do you think? At times, for sure, that you're not always max efforting. And, and like, again, you see lots of starting pitchers who can who will sit, say, you know, 94, 95, and then periodically reach back and grab, so grab a little 98 uh, uh, up there. Uh, so that does exist, but the from a reliever standpoint, those guys are coming in and airing it out. Right. And the mentality is generally to throw every pitch as hard as you can, the best you can in order to, to maximize the results. And part of that is just hitters are flat out better now, right? Like these guys are coping and finding ways to adjusting to 97, 98 with cut or sink. And then these ridiculous sliders and, and breaking balls that do all kinds of gnarly things. If, if you're not max efforting or close to it against these guys, they're going to have you for lunch. So that's part of the way that the game's evolved. And you know, one of the thought process uh, about the pitch clock coming in next year is that with more pace and pitchers not having as much time to recover between pitches, that may force them back to not max, not being max effort on every pitch and how much of an adjustment that creates in the results is something a lot of people are interesting to watch, to see play out. Before we get off the pitching, let me ask you about Stripling. You have to think about re-signing him next year. I'm not sure that that would have been the case if he had been like the sixth man, you know, long guy out of the bullpen kind of thing. But now you're almost mandated to look at him, aren't you? Well, you were, I would think that even if he hadn't had quite the season and just been in the role he'd been in the past couple of years, you'd still look into bringing him back because that's so valuable and so useful. At this point, I wonder if he's just going to get priced out of the Blue Jays' range uh, because uh, you know I think about a team like the the Red Sox or maybe the Texas Rangers, one of those sort of mid-tier teams that's trying to take some steps towards legitimacy and contention, he's he's sort of perfect. And the one thing about that's going to be interesting to him, and I haven't done a ton of work on this yet, but at least this is the impression I've gotten, is that he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to be able to afford, mm. right? He's sort of in that mid in that mid-range market where you know teams that want to spend want a dependable arm can fit him in at, you know, 10 mil a season, maybe even 12 mil a season. Exactly and, the numbers I was thinking. Yep. And, be, and because of that, because of that, he just, he just ends up being a fit for a lot of clubs. Now where he ends up going, my guess is that he's going to want to be on a, on a contending team, but you know, I, I wouldn't fault him. I don't think anybody would fault him if he wants to sort of max out too and, and see uh, know what he's going to be able to get for himself. So I think, my guess right now is that it's going to be tough for the Blue Jays to resign him, but for sure they're going to they're going to look at it and explore it. But you know, I think part of why you get Mitch White is you know, Mitch White has a chance to be your Ross Stripling next year in the years to come. Hey, uh, well, well, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, to me, we we talked about you know they're going to rest Manoa a little bit. Anybody concerned about Simber and Romano? Anybody concerned about how much? They're spending a lot of, they got a lot of outings, man, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, I mean, I know Jordan got the, he got the, the rest that one, uh, one little spell of games where the, uh, they were able to, to keep him off the mound. But boy, oh boy, they're, they're out there a heck of a lot. That's got to be a bit of a worry at this time of year, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And they're conscious of that. And, and look, I, I do get in, just in talking to a few people at the ballpark yesterday, I do get the sense that they believe some of what they've seen in the bullpen over the past week is just some hangover from the three bullpen games, uh, three bullpen games, and and some of the the, the heavy workload to this point. The, there's no doubt, but also that's sort of your job in the bullpen. And when you're good and you're dependable, 
the manager is going to want to go to you. And right now, John Schneider's circle of trust is relatively small. Jordan Romano is definitely in it. Adam Simber's in it. Jimmy Garcia is in it. Tim Meza is really working his way back up into it. And everyone else is sort of creeping in and they're trying to balance the work around those guys. But in the situations that count, in the moments that matter, those are the guys the Blue Jays want to focus their, their, their innings in. And you've really seen over the past month how, as the games have gotten a bit more important, the Blue Jays have really focused their at-bats and their innings within the players they most trust. Mm. You know, clearly, when you're managing over the course of a 162-game season, you think of it in that way. A manager has to think of it in that way. So, and I agree with you, the four guys you mentioned out of the bullpen are the guys that they're going to go to. I wonder when you get to the postseason, do you stretch guys out? Will you give a starting pitcher an extra 10, 15 pitches in a game? Um, given that your bullpen is essentially four, if you, you know, if you stick to the six inning or seven inning kind of hundred pitch max, you're going to use those guys up and there are going to be days during the postseason where you don't have those four guys out of the bullpen available. Or maybe you only have one of those four available on a particular day. Do you think that that postseason is fundamentally different in terms of pitching for a manager? A hundred percent. And Bob, what I would say is that the trend that we've seen in recent years in the postseason is that rather than the leashes getting longer in an effort to take care of your relievers, we've seen them actually get shorter on starting pitchers that as soon as there's a moment of trouble, you're not necessarily going to ride it out with your starter. You're going to go to your bullpen much, much faster than we've seen and just relieve and, and just go reliever mix and match your way through the rest of the game. So I, I think if anything, we'd see it uh, go more in that direction, particularly with if say Barrios or Stripling is on the mound, maybe, maybe Gosman Manila get a bit more leash from a Blue Jays perspective, but it's still going to be short because those you can get that one big inning that can change a playoff game that can change a series. We've seen teams try to guard against that as much as they possibly can. And so, you know, my guess is that the relievers better be set for a lot of back-to-back days of work, uh, especially that wild card round mm-hmm. where, you know, you've got, you've got three in a row. And so guys are going to have to buckle up and we may see a lot of dudes in three pitching three days in a row for the first time this season. And, you know, Jordan Romano did it once earlier this year and it didn't go well for him that third day. I'm surprised. I, 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 the guy I've really actually quite enjoyed is, is Phelps. I'm surprised you didn't have him on your list uh, near as much, but it doesn't, it it doesn't sound or it doesn't look like he's getting that much trust late in games right now, does it? Well, I mean, they, they've used him in spots. They're not afraid right. to. Right. But he's he's a guy that they prefer a little bit earlier in the game rather than yeah. later in the game. But when they've needed outs in, in certain times, he's definitely somebody they, they depend on. And he's a veteran who's been there, and he's not going to beat himself. Somebody else is going to – he's going to make the other team beat him, which is what you want. Which, and you want to trust in that in those spots. Uh, I just think right now when – you know, all things are being equal. You're just doing it in a vacuum. Those are the the core arms within that circle of trust. And, you know, where Anthony Bass fits in is, is interesting there too. And uh, he's, he's somebody that has gotten some, some innings, but maybe not as many as you might've anticipated uh, straight away in, in those high leverage spots. But the, the, the format, especially in the wildcard round, is going to force you to go a little bit deeper into your bullpen than you otherwise might have, uh, simply because there are just so many innings to go around right now. Uh, made to under, before we move along, I'm made to understand Mitch White's going to pitch tonight. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Um, how do you feel about that decision? I mean, there, there really wasn't much of a decision to be made here, rather, was there? No, unless you wanted to run another bullpen game out there, which isn't really fair. And, you know, the way the Barrios out, outing went on Thursday, you know, that one essentially turned into a bullpen game as well. So yeah. this is something that the Blue Jays had had 
knew was coming. This was the expectation was that it was set up for Mitch White. And if he looks like the version that pitched against the Rays in the doubleheader, it was six innings, three runs, and really kept that game under control, had some bad luck in, in giving up the three runs. You know, that's fine. And Mitch White, I know he's been frustrating for Blue Jays fans, and certainly uh, a lot of them are telling me about it on, on, on Twitter about how awful he is. But uh, I just, there's a lot to like in about that that package. It, you know, hasn't been put together just yet, but it's it's a good fastball. It's a good breaking ball. He's got a change up. He's durable. You know, the pieces are there for him to be successful. Uh, right now, they're really trying to work on a few mechanical adjustments with him, some, some usage adjustments with him. And as they try to get to that point, it, it can be a little bit bumpy. But I do ultimately think that Mitch White is going to be a, a, a contributor to this, uh, to this team, whether or not it's this season or in the years to come. But isn't, isn't this exactly what he was brought in for? This was He was supposed to be the fill-in guy, the five guy, the, the grout in the tile guy. I mean, heck, I, I'm surprised, actually, in many ways, I'm surprised he ha- hasn't had more appearances in, in this kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, well, in an ideal world, they were hoping he was going to be Ross Stripling. Yeah. Uh, you say Kikuchi was going to stabilize and right. and run with that fifth spot, which didn't end up happening. And then that forced Mitch White into the fifth spot, which is maybe a bit aggressive for him, given some of the up and downs uh, that he's endured. But uh, it's also a, this was also an opportunity for him that he hasn't exactly run with. So uh, this is this is definitely a sore spot. This was a, an area the Blue Jays knew would be a potential issue. They certainly tried to address it at the trade deadline, but. Mitch White was the only piece that ended up coming back. They looked at some other options. Uh, those didn't work out, obviously. And you know now they're left. They've left themselves in a situation where they're thin and exposed in starting depth, and it, it's definitely bitten them because you know three bullpen days in September when you're chasing a postseason berth. You know, unless you're the Tampa Bay Rays and it's your it's your mo. You know, it's it's not what you want, and not very helpful to your pitching staff. Uh, before we get off of this, there's one thing I wanted to make mention of. I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but I don't think the broadcasters did because I didn't hear them say anything about it. But uh, a few weeks ago, Gosman, who was having some problems, changed his delivery, and he his hands went from around his waist to up around his chest while he was in uh, in in his um, in his pitching motion. He's dropped his hands back down again. I don't know whether you noticed that or not. Did you? I did notice the way he was holding his hands. And there's been a lot of focus in terms of is, is, he, is his big grip visible with right. where he, how his hands are. So I think they've tried a few different things at different points of season to see what would be more effective or if they had some concerns about it. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk, uh, talk with Kevin uh, about where he's at with that. And, yeah, there's also being a, a little bit coy because you don't want to tip to other sure. teams off to what's going on. But I, I do know that it's something that they've wondered about at different points. And, you know, he's had a weird season because his peripherals all suggest that he should be better than he is. But he's got the highest uh, batting average on balls in play in baseball this season. So he's hitting some bad luck. And, you know, there's some some questions about whether – whether or not teams at different points have had something on them, which has allowed them to tee off. Yeah. Uh, Injury is a bit of a concern uh, as we get set for the playoffs, and we'll talk about that. Shai Davidi is with us. We'll be back in a moment. It's McCowan and Shannon with Shai Davidi, who's in uh, Tampa with the Blue Jays. They are um, in the midst of a four-game weekend series against Tampa, and obviously an important one. And uh, the Yankees series may be less important, as it turns out, since the Yankees have uh, kind of opened things up a little bit more and look like they're probably going to win the division. But injuries are an issue, and uh, Espinal is the latest mm-hmm. um, with a hamstring. Is that what it is? Uh, it's a, a oblique strain. Oblique strain. And uh, time frame, any idea? No, uh, we got the news uh, pretty close to game time. They were waiting on some MRI results. They were, they were clearly try, uh, trying or hoping to avoid having to put him on the injured list, but 
the the damage is obviously severe enough that he's going to miss at least 10 days. And, you know, the fact that, you know, that he's on the injured list at this point in time, it's pretty damaging because uh, and obliques tend to be tough. They don't tend to be short-term things. So there'll be a lot of fingers crossed around the Blue Jays that the, the damage isn't too severe, but we'll get a bit more of an update about that later Friday. How important do you think he is to this team? I mean, he is, he, he doesn't play every day. Um, and his offense is kind of hit and miss. Well, it is with most players. Um, but defensively, he is as solid as they come. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, it, it's a big piece, right? He's a, a good contact bat. He has a skill set that is somewhat unique, uh, in, in some ways a little bit like Lourdes Gurriel in that he can manipulate the ball, uh, manipulate the barrel of the bat to, do, to spray the ball around the field. Uh, he can do a number of different things at the plate, and the Blue Jays need that skill set. And what he also does is that he allows you to more effectively pick your spots with Kevin Biggio and mm-hmm. line him up for the best options. And you can mix and match and flip flip that for uh, for for platoon advantage uh, at at a key point of the game. Something that John Schneider has done quite effectively. Uh, in, in recent weeks between him and some of the other players uh, that he can turn around in the game. So it's going to be a difficult one. Uh, you know, he, what, he was an all-star this year for, for good reason, because he was having that, that strong season. And you know, with Lourdes Gurriel out as well, it's not ideal. There seems to be at least some, some progress on, on a return for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this weekend or not. But there's at least some progress there. But just when you're about to get him back to lose Espinal is is going to hurt this team. Well, the I truth is, you, sorry, you John. I just you didn't mention Maryfield. What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and I mean the the two homer game. I'm sure he's been he's been waiting for a night at the plate like that in a long time. I'm sure he would have hoped that it didn't come in the type of game that uh, blowout loss that it came yeah. in, but. If he's going to start getting himself right, and you know, this is a guy who was among the leaders in hits in the American League uh, just a year ago. This, this is this is a good player uh, who's had a very tough start to his begin to the beginning of his Blue Jays career. But one way to certainly counter uh, the for the or protect against the the loss of of Espinal would be for Merrifield to to get hot exactly uh, and that you know this this is why you get depth this is why you try to create surplus on your big league roster so that when you do have a significant injury you still have another good player to slot in there yeah well and and Merrifield if if he comes out of this offensive funk would probably be the starting second baseman more nights than not. Well, it could be. I, I do think that the Blue Jays will give Kevin Biggio some good run too. And look, he's been a really good player for this team since the All-Star break and, and really since he came back off the injured list. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he came back, or sorry, when he came back from Buffalo after he had the COVID early in the season, you know, he he gives you something that you need too, which is on base percentage. He works in a bat. He's able to get on base on a consistent basis mm-hmm. and he can do some damage with the occasional swing as well. So I think where right now, especially while Gurriel is out too, Merrifield seems to be their, one of their preferred options for the outfield and with Biggio at second base, but you know, Merrifield can protect you at second. He can move in at third at first. If you need, you can move him all around the diamond and you just right now, the Blue Jays are showing just why you, you want those players so much because of how valuable they can be when you get into spots where you start having injuries. Guriel's absence has been um, understated. It has not been obvious. We have not talked an awful lot about it. This is a very good player who was hitting close to 300, and he was on a tear, really, um, before he got hurt. And yet the Blue Jays do have other outfielders and experienced outfielders that they can put out there. So I don't think we focused that much on it. But his return in time for the playoffs, I think, could be very, very important. Don't you? For sure. And part of the reason for that is because of the type of hitter he is. 
and the way that he can adjust and do different things with the bat. And he's not one swing trying to get his perfect swing off and, uh, you know, launch a ball into, into the outfield. He'll go the other way. He'll slash, he'll shoot a ball through the hole. He can do so many different things and he hits basically any type of pitching. You're a good pitcher, you're a bad pitcher, you're a slop tosser, you're a fireballer. He'll hit those guys. Mm-hmm. And that, that having that type of really versatile piece in your lineup consistently, either cleaning up what's in front of them or setting up for, for who's behind them. I mean, it, it just, it means so much to a lineup. So I, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent, Bob, that the Jays definitely miss him. You know, they, you know, Ramel Tapia has had a very good little stretch in his absence, which is, really lessened uh, the, the sense of loss about him. But, you know, I, I remember an executive once saying to me, the more you watch part-time players play, the more they'll start reminding you of why they're part-time players. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the Blue Jays will want to be conscious of too with mm-hmm. all their guys. Uh, and I think that's also why we're seeing some of the the usage being the way that it is. It's really trying to, put the the players most likely to succeed against a given set of pitchers uh in the lineup on a given day you know since we're talking about it I, well, one thing i wanted to ask you quickly about because we haven't talked to this, this about this at all guriel's got what five home runs this year i think mm-hmm. why it is does, that num- why is that number so higher. low yeah it is interesting because he's shown uh some some more pop and to be honest i haven't I haven't done, I haven't really dug in on that because I don't know that it's really impacted his game, right? He's still being productive. And to me, it's almost like, I don't know if he consciously is doing it, but to me, this well, that's what I wonder. Needs, it, it needs hits as much as it needs home runs. Like the whole, there, there are home runs there. And when the blue Chiefs have been really good, they're not necessarily being dependent on home runs like that recent stretch of, uh, you know, through the, the good homestand, uh, the, the road trip and the good homestand, they did a lot of their winning on base hits and doubles mm-hmm. and not necessarily on home runs. It, it, certainly they, there were a few games where home runs won it for them, but they were a more complete type of offense. Uh, and Gurriel was a big part of that. So I don't know if it's conscious. It is a good question, one that I that I'll, I'll definitely dig into. But I, I don't feel like look, home runs are always nice, but I don't feel like this lineup has missed them. And I actually think the hits have been good for you know if if you're going to trade a few home runs for for several more hits within the context of this lineup, I think there's a, there's a case to be made for that. That's that's well, yeah. the that's the red flag with Vladdy right now. There's, everybody's wanting to know why why his home run numbers aren't up. This is a team with five guys with more than twenty. Do you think that's been a a real philosophy change, or is this just something that's happened organically? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think like with Vladdy, it's it's a philosophy change. Uh, you know, there's certainly been a lot of talk around him and what's going on with him, and uh, there's certainly been. I know a lot of emphasis on pitch selection with him and him, him being so good that he can get to pitches low in the zone, but he can't do as much with them as he can from, you know, stuff from the, you know, the, the lower third up. And how does he, does he have to take more walks to get more pitches into his happy zone where he's going to start pumping them over the wall on a more regular basis? I think that's, been part of the the ongoing struggle for him over the course of the entire season again from a wider perspective the lineup is still looking to do damage right they're not they're not saying hey let, let's be you know a bunch of punch and judes here and you know dropping balls and seeing what happens they they want to get after it and, and send balls over the wall but there's also been when the jays are at their best there's a recognition that maybe you don't have to go big and you know sometimes you take what's on offer and if it's a base hit or you know ground ball down the line, you know those can be just as effective at times too. Well, you have to. We also have to remember that you're missing forty plus home runs from second base, right? That you got last year, and you know Semyon is not here anymore, and uh, there were a lot of home runs hit there, and then Vladdy is down a bit too. Uh, so um, that's that's the difference. And and, and Oscar's down. down. 
Teoscar's down. down. Uh, at the same time, you know, Chapman has significantly replaced right. uh, a lot sure. of what you've lost in, in Semyon. And, you know, Semyon, Semyon isn't, <laughs> Semyon's down this year, year over year as well. So, sure. uh, but uh, offense isn't the problem for this team, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, this team is going to hit enough uh, and has more than enough offense to, to do damage. I think what you look to is, you know, the pitching, the starting pitching has generally been good and the bullpenning for the most part has been fine. I think you'd obviously feel better if there was, you know, a fifth starter with a bit more reliability in the rotation right now. And if there was maybe one more swing and miss arm in the bullpen. Uh, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, you don't have a choice as to who you get to play. But if you did have a choice, who, who do you think it would be? I don't know. Like Cleveland's been a Cleveland's been a, a hell matchup for them. On paper, you'd want Cleveland, right? But sure. that's been a bad matchup for them this year. They they lost. Uh, what was it? I think five. They were two and five against Cleveland this year, and just a lot of frustration in those matchups. And Cleveland can really pitch, and the the type of offense that they are, this plucky group that can just you know just splash the ball around and then run the bases really well. I'm not sure that's a great matchup for them. Seattle with, you know, being able to throw Castillo, Ray Gilbert at you in a three game series. I mean, that's pretty miserable. Uh, And the Rays are the Rays, Mm. a bit of a nemesis. You know, I guess if you're, if you're kind of looking at it rationally, you may even pick the Rays, but I don't know if there's an ideal choice there for them. Each one of them presents challenges in their own way. Uh, the Blue Jays have had a tough time with all three. And, you know, obviously we remember the, the four game sweep in Seattle that preceded the Charlie Montoya firing. And that was obviously a dark point of the Blue Jays season. Uh, and the Rays are just been a pain in their behinds uh, all time. You know, I, I'm not sure there, there's a, a matchup that they love there. Uh, but you're going to have to overcome someone to to get where you want to go, and uh, I, I really, I, to me, I, I really see it being a coin flip. So, Shai, do you get? Is there any talk about God? We got to have home field. Is there any yeah. discussion? Yeah, well, I mean, I, social social media was lit no, I'm, I'm, but I, but in the in the clubhouse, so I want to know in the clubhouse. Well, I mean, with Schneider talking yesterday, saying that if you know home field advantage was on the line in Game One Sixty Two, they'd use Manoa in that game, even if it meant not having him for the wild card round. I think that's a sense of how valuable it is, and you know, this format this year certainly changes a lot of the calculus, right? Because it's not just uh, a game, you know one extra game that you get at the the home home field advantage gets you; it's the entire series. Uh, at home. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it from a Blue Jays perspective, let's say you end up having to go to Seattle, they would travel from Baltimore to Seattle. And then if they survived that series, they'd go Seattle to Houston. Uh, and it would be a week and a half or, or even more than that before they'd get back to Toronto. And if they, if they were still active for that, and that's, that's, a, that's a long slog. And you definitely want your home fans behind you and you know Pete Walker was talking about this and he remembers 1516 and the noise and the atmosphere and he was saying he really wants his players to experience that because he believes it helped his team now you know the Jays were six and five at home in those two postseasons cumulatively so was it necessarily definitive I don't know uh this this year's Blue Jays team is relatively identical home and road uh, it's not a, a big split, a meaningful split one way or the other. But in the postseason, you always prefer to have the last at bat. And, uh, you know, I think the Blue Jays will do everything and they can, everything they can to try and get it. Um, I wonder when push comes to shove, though, if they'll really burn Manoa uh, for a playoff start uh, just, to, um, just to try and get home field. Yeah, that's interesting because it essentially eliminates him from the the um, the opening round. Yeah. Uh, so they they would they finish in Baltimore on Sunday, right? Uh, 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 next Wednesday, no, thir- next Thursday. Oh, next Thursday it finishes. Yeah. 
Right. They got they. That's a series that was supposed to be in the first week of the season that they tacked on at the end because of the lockouts. Oh yes, right, right, right. So the season ends on a Thursday. Yes. So the opening the the playoff round would then start Saturday. Saturday, October seventh. I believe so I go- believe I have my days of the week right, uh, but it's definitely October seventh is the first. That's, uh, a, well, that's a Saturday, so. And yeah. it would be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right? Yeah. Those three games. Three in a row, no days off. Uh, it's uh, it's a straight grind, and uh, this is this is something that uh, both the players and Major League Baseball wanted to create value on winning the division, right? Um, if you're the two best teams in your league, uh, then you uh, you get a buy right into the division series round, and everyone else has to beat themselves up for three straight days before they come in to face you. Right, and you get you, you well, you essentially get a week off. Um, mm-hmm to prepare for your opening round series, which I think most people think is a, probably a good thing after 162, but it is intriguing that, you know, guys who are used to playing every day suddenly now have a, an entire week where they don't have a game. I don't know whether I, I feel, I don't know whether that, do you think it, it matters or not? You know, it, it depends on the group, honestly. And we've seen in the postseason times where, you know, one club sweeps in the championship series and, you know, the other league, they they go the distance in the seven games. You think, oh, the team that's rested is going to have a major advantage in the next round. And uh, it doesn't work out that way. Right. It works out the opposite because they're rusty for a couple of days. It takes them a while to get their timing back. And I, I don't know. It's it's so group dependent and everything in the postseason is so small sample size random that it, it's hard it's hard to kind of say this is definitively the best. Well, I tell you what, between the travel to Seattle and playing in Tropicana Field, uh, I think they have to play at home. I think that the, I think that has to be their focus. I mean, those are two th- those are two huge obstacles. The three time zone change. Uh, p- p- some people say oh, it's not a problem. It's a problem. That first game, you, you might as well just throw away the first game in many ways. Um, and that puts you behind the eight ball in a, in a three game series. And that, the, that field that you're going to go to tonight, shy, it has been a tomb in so many ways for the blue Jays. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I totally get that. And I can, I can definitely see the case for, Oh, I was texting with someone this morning who was like killing me for even entertaining the idea. Uh, but I can see the case for doing everything you can to get those home games. And then I can also see the case for how can you go into the first round and not have your best guy there, right? It's different if you need your best guy to ensure you clinch your postseason berth Mm -hmm. uh, in game 162, right? I get that. But if you're already in, do you sacrifice him for home field advantage or do you take your chances with somebody who might not give you the best – the best odds of winning, but you still have your best dude available. You know, that, that, that one to me is super tricky. And a lot of it, I think depends. It will depend on matchup and who you're lining up against and where you're at. Like, you know, Tropicana field, it's just, I, I was talking to one player yesterday. And I was like, just jokingly. I'm like, what's, what do you hate more here or Oakland? And he said, I'll play in Oakland anytime. And Oakland is in a complete state of disrepair. There is a lot of just white flag on that stadium. It is as right. disgusting as it's ever been. And he said, you know, I, I like that feel. It's like after I play every game, after you play here, it's just like you feel like crap the next day. The next day, your body just aches because of how hard the surface is and all that stuff. Then all the other factors that go in where it's like 8,800 in a meaningful crowd of 8,800 in the stands for a meaningful September game, uh, the ridiculous roof, the the feeling that you're playing baseball in the shopping mall, all that stuff, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a great place to be. Uh, and then, and then you have all the other bad history here. So I, I can, I can really see exactly what you're saying there. Um, there's just, there's just not an ideal matchup. It's like going to Seattle, pretty bad too just yeah. like that that's a good team and like have, yes it is that it's a really tough pitching staff there's a lot of velocity a lot of nasty velocity on that pitching staff 
And, you know, you think about Castillo, Ray, and Gilbert for, you know, three games set, you know, that, that, that's pretty tough. Uh, you've got to be, you've got to be at your best to get through that. We got to go because time is our enemy, but um, just out of interest, if Manoa pitches 162, do you bring him back for game three on three days rest? No, no chance that happens. No chance? I, I can't, I can't imagine them putting him under that physical, physical duress. But it would be a game you would have to win. Mm-hmm. But are you gonna? Are, are <laughs> you gonna interesting. Put, are you gonna put his career potentially on the line? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's. I guess that becomes the question. If he goes one, if he pitches in one sixty-two, then now now you have handcuffed yourself for that three-game series but, just to get home field advantage. And at the same time, you get to a game three, uh, then you and you win without Manoa. He's ready for game one of the next series, Bob. Well, yeah, if there if there is a next if series. there is a next well, yeah, if there it. is a next one, right? Like you just think about the times where uh, the time in two thousand nine at the World Baseball Classic where Canada tried to game the system and ended up losing the wrong games and then right. got eliminated from the tournament without using their best pitcher. That's right, you know. Uh, Shai, I know you got things to do. We uh, thank you very much for uh, your time this morning, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to chatting with you again. If not before the season ends, then uh, perhaps during the playoffs. Thanks, pal. No problem, guys. Have a great weekend. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. Uh, we are back. And again, our thanks to Shai for uh, being with us. Shai Davidi from, uh, from Tampa. It's a big series. Mm. Um, they're all big at this time of year. <laughs> but um, the way things have gone, the Yankee series upcoming at home um, may not be quite what we thought it might be. It looks like the Yankees have come pretty cl- are coming pretty close to wrapping up the uh, Eastern division. Don't you think? Yeah. I, you know, seven games is, I, I mean, it's now I think out of reach for any of those teams uh, behind them. So I, it, I it's do one too. Of, you know, and in many ways, maybe the biggest story of that series now, we'll just, we will just be following Aaron judge. That's all. Just follow Aaron judge. See how high, how many home runs he gets. Yeah, well, if he hits 62, they'll be happy in New York. Is that, in your mind, is that the record then? Hey, listen, if you're in New York, there's only one team anyway, man. There's well, only one team. So but is it the record? Do you, th- no. in, your, in your mind, no. 73. Come on. All right. Well, not in my mind. Oh, we can talk about that Monday. Uh, we will. Have yourself a nice weekend, Shannon. You too, Bob. Uh, We thank you. We hope you have a good weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Goodbye, everybody. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.